Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Craig Parkinson, and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on and let's dive in. How the devil are you? It is Thursday, it is the Two Shot Podcast. I am Craig Parkinson and you're here with me. Thank you so much. Um, What a lovely reaction to kick off the year with Laura Pulver's episode last week. Thank you so much for everybody who got in touch. I'm glad you enjoyed it. She's the one. Uh, Maternal does start on ITV um, next week, if you listen to this on the day goes out, I think it's the 16th of January, so that'll be Lara and lovely past guest Parminda Nagra, so uh, yeah, should we give that a watch? Why not? Now, currently, I am recording this in a hotel room in Bristol, but at the weekend, I sat down, uh, popped the computer on, and had a lovely chat with Rob Orton, uh, something we've been meaning to do for, I think we spoke on the podcast, like maybe two years. Um, Rob is a, well, we talk about this, about uh, putting labels on things. What is Rob? What is Rob? Uh, I first came across him as a stand-up, but also a poet. Uh, the other year, he produced the Rob Orton Daily Podcast, does what it says on the tin. He produced an episode every day for a year and um, quite rightly won at the British Podcast Awards last year. He is a lovely guy. He's wonderful company. He's so interesting. You don't know where the conversations are going to go. And I love this a lot, I think. You're really going to get on board with this. We talk about ideas, stand-up, the difference between poetry and spoken word, if there is one, um, lists, topics, advertising, uh, all sorts of stuff. It is a brilliant conversation. Let's get to know the brilliant Rob Orton. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. Rob Orton, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank- yeah, I, I am okay, thank you. Yeah, you all right? 
I'm I'm okay. I'm good. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's been raining all morning here in Manchester, and I'm just looking out the sky now. It's turning blue, so hopefully it's going to be a nice afternoon. Oh, really? No, it's still overcast in Hackney here, and um, it's really dark actually. I've started making lists, which uh, is helping me out in the new year. Yeah, as in sort of what resolution lists or just in my diary. I thought that if you were going to ask me how. I am, which I predicted you would do. I thought yeah. I could just say, yeah, I'm okay, or try to go into it a bit more. Well, I mean, I'd love to hear something from your list. That would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah right, to start okay. With. So, yeah. Well, no, just in, just in the, um, I last year I didn't have a paper diary for the first time in a long time. And um, I think it uh, affected my year, really. Um, and this year I thought because, I'm going to get a di- paper diary was, and get back. Was to it work. because was it because you didn't have that sort of structure that you were normally used to having? I think so. Yeah, there's something about um, pens and paper that just sits really well with me, really, and I, I just mm. um, love using my hands and physical things. And I think um, there's so much drama and um, emotions that I'm not used to that's attached to mobile phones um, that um, separating um, tasks and things just like I don't want all my life to be on my phone basically no I know what you mean it's funny you say that because at New Year I was being asked inevitably we always get asked by sort of friends and loved ones about New Year's resolutions and I hadn't really given it too much thought but there was one thing that was playing on my mind for the for the last few months actually, and it was to do with mobile phones, and it was about what I'm going to do. In fact, I'm doing it this afternoon. I'm going to I'm going to buy an alarm clock for mm. the first time in in a, in a long long time, just so I can keep the phone out of the bedroom. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want. I've I found myself reaching for it quite a lot, and I don't want to sit in bed in the morning early and read the newspaper online. I, I enjoy going out to get the papers at a weekend and sitting down somewhere and and leafing through them. It's just like, you know, I don't like, I can't read. So if I'm learning lines, and I know a lot of actors are like this as well, um, I can't read a script on a, on a digital, on an iPad or anything like that. I need a like a physical hard copy. For some reason, the lines just won't go in my head mm. do you when you're writing your shows and we'll get back to your list don't think i've, I've forgotten yeah, of course, I when you're writing your shows do you do you, do you are you are you a much more a pen and paper man when it comes to things like that uh, yeah absolutely yeah um i i have to get it down um onto paper and um even uh the physical work of like I type it up on a computer, but then I write it back onto sheets of A4 with a pen, um, just because it makes me look at the words in a different way. And um, I think the physical act of writing words out with a pen and paper, even if you've once put it into a Word doc, it comes back, and then you think about what you've written. And uh, more words come, and 
bad bits raise their heads and you go, what am I doing here? And, um, yeah. But one of the things on the list is like um, socks on before phone on. So, I yeah, think, I think, I, well, I agree with that. That's, I think that's a good thing, you know. Um, but even because I was, I was doing um, a lot of gigs touring last year and mm. I think some of those things in my list might not seem like much like um, at my desk before nine o'clock. I mean, everybody, not everybody, but <clears throat> that's something that I want to try to do. Oh, have I done that this week? Yes, tick, motivational video. I watch motivational videos a lot. Um, just what, be- what kind, Rob? Basically, I just type motivational video into YouTube and um, the, the ones that come up, <laughs> I watch. And um, it, I, I try to stay away from like the um, toxic masculinity type, um, all that type of stuff. Yeah. But every now and again, I look in them and um, I just go, okay, yeah, this is... But I, I was I was watching the other one the other day and... Um, they were talking a lot about effort and um, the effort being everything, you know, of um, the process of work and trying to enjoy effort more. And there was a story that they were talking about where um, there were some children who really liked painting and writing, no, painting and drawing, and um, they did it for the pleasure. And, um, and then they split up the the class and gave one half of the class a reward at the end of their painting and the other other half of the class didn't get any reward and then so the the class that didn't get any reward kept doing it because they liked doing it but when with the class that got the reward they then had another class with the same kids and didn't give them a reward and they didn't want to do it anymore um because they had that high of getting a reward at the end of what they were doing and um, so they go back to talking about it's all about the process and the effort of just doing the thing and um, not worrying about the end result. And that's what I'm trying, like the effort is the good part and trying to get, a, you know, the neuroscientists talking about the dopamine releases and things like that of going, um, it's all a, like just the writing and learning lines and stuff like that. That The, the, the graft is the good bit. And yeah, that, exactly. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And like for yeah. me, I just love like testing myself and like getting to the end of the day and just feeling like, ah, oh, you worked hard today. Well done. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I know we're, we're sort of performers of, of different styles, but I was talking to a, a, a younger actor not so long ago and uh, I was talking about watching myself back, which is something that I, I don't do because I don't get any reward from it. My reward is is the day's filming or the week's filming or the month's filming. That's where I get all the enjoyment. I, I get zero pleasure from from watching myself back and looking at all the cracks mm. because that, that's, that's, all, that's all I see. Um, I know a lot of comedians sort of record their, their shows and watch them back. Are you, are you someone who does that? Um, with work-in-progress shows... I record them all on my voice notes and then listen to them back because I right. often say things off the cuff and try I'm trying to remember them and I because you're there in front of people and you're going 
remember this, remember, remember how you did that, remember how, and you never, yeah. ever, ever can. Um, even no, because I suppose because you've got to keep you got to keep in the zone of the actual show itself. Completely. Even even though sometimes I find myself saying to the audience, "Oh, can you remember that? I'm not recording this, so I forgot I forgot to press record on my phone. So can you <laughs> just tell me at the end what I said there and how I said it?" And um, you know, sometimes sometimes they're like. What are you on about? We've paid for a ticket for this, you dick. Like, <laughs> why are you? We're not just your tools. And um, so it's you've got to try to stay on the right side of that. But um, I do, uh, yeah, I do record things. I don't like looking. And so have you never watched any of the stuff that you've been in? I mean, of course I have over 26 years, but... It's not something I, I I sit down and do for pleasure. Like if certainly when I have to go back and go into ADR and revoice certain things, they'll play little snippets of a scene. But I say just show me like a couple of seconds before we need the dub and a couple of seconds after, and make sure it fits. But I don't want to see the overall scene because I don't. That's not going to be helpful for me. Mm. Um, but and also if I have to. You know, there's certain screenings that you have to go through, you know, for, for press and things like that. So I will kind of sit or I'll just sit myself down at the beginning, make a, a sort of swift exit and then come back in just at the end. Mm. And then I can do all the interviews and that. But no, it's not something I, I, I really choose to do. I've seen little bits, but I've never sort of watched any series all the way through. And I've only, I think I saw an early film... I did a film called Control long, long time ago, yeah, like yeah. 12 years ago. And I, I, I did sit down and watch that because we were at a film festival and none of, none of us had seen it and there was, there was a real buzz and we sat down there. But we were all, like, terrified and nervous. But that was the one time that I've sat down and watched something, you know, from beginning to end. But, Rob, just going back to um, an earlier topic on your list of um, being at the desk before or at nine o'clock is is that some is that kind of structure with your writing or whatever you're doing uh something that's been lacking in earlier years which is why you're trying to get uh you're trying to be a a nine to five or a nine to two performer writer i think with um i want to be more definitely more structured this year um with um discipline i mean you hear about people like nick cave and that just go in and work at nine to five and really mm. go in at it mm. um i remember reading an interview with um jason williamson from sleaford mods where he was saying like he thought he was working hard and then he did start working hard and then realized he hadn't been working hard at all mm. and i kind of it's a cliche, isn't it? And I know we're only on the 7th of January, but I do want to um, um, try to put certain things in place just to try to help myself because I, I did get into quite a a bit of a rut after the first leg of the tour finished um, at, at the end of November. And so writing things down on lists such as go out of the house or... That shouldn't be a thing for most people, you know. No, but um, it was for you. Yeah, it pretty much was, yeah. Um, and I don't think that's through laziness. I think it's just through 
you know, when you start a big project and then you get to the end of it and you go, oh, well, okay. No. What? what I don't really... What? I think, what's, you, what's next? Yeah, you kind of feel yeah. a little bit lost, right? Yeah, totally lost. And, and inevitably, I, 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 well, not all the time. A lot of the time when I finish something, I get ill. Oh, do you? Yeah. It's like my body has been has been going, no, just keep going, keep going, keep going, yeah. push everything away, push everything away, bury, bury things, bury things. And then when you stop, and then you have that time alone when you've finished. Yeah. It's like my body goes, it, it happened in December. My body just goes, right, okay, you can be ill now because no one's relying on you uh, uh, for work at this moment. So nothing's going to stop. Nothing's going to cost a load of money. You can go and be ill now. It's almost like that's what it's saying to me. Yeah. So, and it's also psychosomatic, isn't it, like that, of going, so do you think if we just told ourselves we could never get ill that we we just get to the end of our lives and was like, okay. And then like the ultimate illness of dying. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But there is that thing, isn't it? Of um, all those tests and the unknown powers of humanity that we don't really know what we're capable of and everything like that. And um, I'm just going to keep thinking about that thing that I said about you being in Dead Man's Shoes for the rest of the interview now. <laughs> because I was, I was like, that was you, because I've seen you in so much stuff, and then I wanted to go back and think about the last thing, that, but it isn't. Yeah, Rob, I was, I, was at, um, I was at a film festival once, and I was, it was the end, and we were at the do and everything, and it was all lovely. And uh, I needed a wee, so I was going to go to the toilet. So I went to the toilet, and coming out of... The other entrance was um, with these two two Chinese ladies, and they they came over to me and they going, "Oh, we we love we love your work and we love the film." I went, "Oh, wow, thanks." I hadn't really done anything, so I thought, "Oh, wow, thanks a lot." Uh, and they went, "Our our favourite role of yours is." I went, "Oh, what are they going to say?" I said, "Our favourite role of yours is uh, is in Notting Hill, you with the underpants," and I went. Oh, right. So, thank you. So, they thought I was Reese fans from <laughs> not in it. <laughs> but I, I didn't want to burst the bubble, so I just, <laughs> I just claimed to be Reese. <laughs> oh, amazing. Rob, what can you tell me the difference between, and I'll need help with this, a poet and a spoken word performer? Um, well, I think that. When I was first kind of um, getting into poetry, whatever, I would go into places like HMV and be, there'd be a spoken word section, right? Yeah. And in that, you got Ivor Cutler. And is he a spoken word artist? Probably not. He's a humorist, musician, poet, writer, artist, everything. So, mm. And he's like my main hero, really. Right. And the di I think the difference between the difference between spoken word and poetry, I mean, I've wrote something down once about that of thinking for me, poet I don't really know what spoken word is. I think I think that um spoken word is someone I mean, what's the difference between spoken word and a one one man monologue? And what it, for well, a yeah, piece? I don't know. I don't know. I mean it seems that <clears throat> The term spoken word, f for me, 
it seems I've only just discovered it over the the last few years that there's a lot of spoken word artists. And it's like, oh, well, I've always just thought of those people as yeah, speaking poetry or, as you say, you know, a, a one-man monologue. Well, yeah, like, oh, like a yeah, theatre maker. Yeah. Or someone, I think that poetry is a sticky one anyway because for me, poetry is more of like um it's how it makes me feel. Uh, get, getting a feeling through words, basically. Mm. And I write th- things down a lot of the time, and I think, is that, what's that, you know? I don't know, I don't know what it, I, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't like it. But then, like, well, it feels quite, it made me think something. You know, oh, what's that? I don't know. And then, I think it's like, Write it down, and then if someone thinks it's poetry, they'll tell you it's poetry, mm. and then let them have it, make their own minds up about what it is. I think for me, when I'm trying to make work or whatever, it's just like just just go with it and see see what the crack is, and then let people make their own mind up what it is. But that doesn't really help when you're trying to sell your work and make a living from what you do, because people need to be able to say. We'll get you in for this. You, this is your skill set, you know. Mm. Which is pretty. That's when you're trying to carve out your own thing of going. This is what I want to do, and this is how I do it. And I'm gonna, as going back to Nick Cave again, when he says like, you've got to commit to your own derangement, right? And that is what I'm doing, a hundred percent. And just going, this is what I want to do, and just trying to find stages to do it on. Whether yeah. it's spoken word or poetry, the difference. Or stand up. Or stand up. Mm-hmm. I mean, stand up's a bit more difficult because people have paid to laugh, and yeah, and you owe it to them to at least give them something to laugh at. Um, yeah, other, yeah. Know. I mean, but you know, speaking of that, I remember in long, long time ago seeing Johnny Vegas live yeah. in, a, in a very small setting. And, of course, it was labelled as stand-up comedy. And a lot of people were laughing, but I feel they were laughing out of nervousness because it was kind of terrifying because it was, at times, it was, you know, the potter's wheel was there. It was back in those days, and it was almost like a a, a man was was having some sort of breakdown on stage and it didn't seem like stand-up to me it seemed like i mean if i have to put a label on it which you know we're talking about labels it was like more like performance art than anything else absolutely yeah have you read his book no what is it biography yeah yeah his biography yeah it's brilliant yeah really really good uh read i can't remember what it's called but um it's uh very there's some great books from stand ups, isn't there? But um that that was a good one. Yeah, I mean he's just an absolute force of nature though, isn't he? Yeah, he is, and I think there's always been uh an honesty to his his work, even when he's been when he's been Johnny. There's there is there is an honesty there. Uh, and uh, and you know, I hate to use 
the word edgy, but it was quite edgy in the time. You know, you see so many stand-ups now and you go, oh, yeah, well, he's kind of doing a bit like that or he's, he's, he's doing that Stuart Lee thing where he's going to explain the joke for like 20 minutes until, you, you know, you start laughing and you carry on laughing and he's going to dissect it and da-da-da. But with, uh, with Johnny, it was, I, th- I felt it was truly original. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's just... I've I've never actually seen him live, but yeah, I just think incredible. Rob, let's go back to growing up in York. Oh yeah, yeah. How how was that? I mean, that's a, such a broad question. But how was the childhood? Is what I'm asking. My childhood was um, the more the further away I get from it, the more things I think about that happened that I took for granted that didn't have to happen. Um, And when I get to the age now where I'm older than my mum and dad were when they had me and Mm. like all that they did for me and my sister, you kind of realise how, I kind of realise how much of a shift they put in for me. And... Um, it, I was, yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky. It was, it was a, it, we lived in a small village outside York called Barnby Moor near a place called Pocklington. Yeah. And, um, um, we had a garden and there was a small stream at the end of it and there was loads of, um, loads and loads of frogs and baby frogs on the bank. And I remember we'd like collect them and I'd, have like contact with baby frogs when I was a child, which didn't seem like much at the time, but now living in, in the depths of Hackney, like you don't see many baby frogs knocking around, you know what I mean? And yeah. And, um, maybe I'm just looking in the wrong places, but there, it was, it was great. It was, I was, yeah, I was, I was lucky. I was, I enjoyed school. Got a bit, got, you know, I didn't get out of school completely unscathed, but I don't think anyone does, do they? No, I don't think anyone does at all. I feel like I'm just about ready to go to school now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd, yeah. I'd love to go to school now. Mm. Oh, fantastic. What are we doing? Well, we've got an hour of science, and I'm going to learn about science, and then... Great. Bring, like, it, bring it on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You walk into a classroom, and there's like some... I remember, we used to be in this classroom in, in the chemistry lab, and, and the biology lab, and, and there used to be these jars on the shelves with, like, tiny little, like, piglets and stuff like that in. Mm. And I thought, oh, flipping heck. And I hadn't really thought about it until recently. But that was someone's decision to bring those dead animals into the school and put them on a shelf. Like, yeah. some guy, a teacher. And I thought, oh, maybe, unlike his interview, he said... Um, so, yeah, we're really looking forward to having you on board. Any questions? It's like, well, uh, I've got these dead pigs in formaldehyde in jars. Can I bring them in? I'm on a shelf. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Like, I shit myself every single time going into And there was all sorts of stuff like that. And um, But on the whole, I was, it was good. I was lucky. I, I got to um, – I was supported. Um, my dad was a plumber. I went in his van, you know, and – and um, yeah, they both worked really hard, my mum and dad, and um, 
Yeah, as I get older, you kind of start to realise really that um, it's not a given. And um, I'm... No. Yeah, that's it really. Do you think we get to an age though? I know I certainly have. And I'm not saying now I'm going back a few years where someone dangling that carrot of going back to school, you go, yeah, I would love that now. I would Mm. love to gain that knowledge. Mm. It's like, I think... I want to read more. I want to learn more. I wish I'd have been like that then. Yeah, did you not want to when you were a kid? No. I, think, I don't think I d- anyone does, do they? I, I, think, certain, I think certain people yeah, I do. Think, yeah, yeah. But I, I, was, um, I was very focused, but I was focused about one thing, really, and it was about, well, it was about reading, it was about drama, and it was about acting, mm. you know, f- from a very early age. And I, and I used to, and I did, well, I still do, I consider myself very lucky to have known that that was a goal, that was something that I wanted to strive for at such a young age. Yeah, big time. Because some people, you know, they don't they don't figure, figure it out until they're 70 of what they want to do. And then I think that's, I think that's fine though, right? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, who are we to say? But some people... Just, you know, some people just don't figure it out. Mm. And they just get passed from pillar to post. But maybe that's okay, because maybe they're learning about... I think it's, it's as important learning about what you don't want to do. Yeah, I think be, I think that's the thing about life and humanity. It's like the people get so many different things from so many different areas. Like, someone could go and have a conversation with a friend or something and that would be as good or as much of a kick as it is to be on stage on broadway for you know like and it's such a rich kind of tapestry isn't it of there's no rules and it's just like so and it's so free and we're just like these flipping creatures that and then so that's when I get so pissed off when I have to do like my tax return and I'm going through all this absolute wank. And, um, and I think, you know, if I, if and when I die and there's an alien being and they say, Oh, what was it like on earth? I'd be like, yeah, it's all right. I had to do, you know, they tried to ruin it by giving us tax returns and stuff like that. But I don't really know. It's, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, for me at school, I was lucky. I kind of, Started to like art and drawing quite early on. Um, and that was my thing, really. Um, did that come quite natural to you, Rob? Did you, did, were you aware that that sort of creative outlet was there for you? Um, yeah, it wasn't really something I would do at home. It was just that when I was doing it in the classes, the, in the class, mm. it was something that I'd really enjoy and I'd enjoy the process of it, of putting lines in certain ways or colour or anything like that. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't amazing at it. I I don't think I'm amazing at it, but I enjoy it. And, and that can be said that as, you know, if you enjoy something, it can be infectious, right? And like, yeah, absolutely. See that you're enjoying what you do, um, that you can you can kind of trick people into thinking that you're better at it than you actually are, you know. <laughs> and I I think that that with that's massive in Edinburgh or, or comedy, like self confidence of going, 
this is it, I'm going to grab you by the scruff of the neck and this is where we're going. This might not be the best technical thing you've ever seen and I might not be using the most like precise words, but if you can feel it and just give, like try to take people somewhere for an hour. I mean, mm. I'm jumping around here and... Um, no, 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 I want to do that. That's what I love, love jumping around. Yeah, I wanna, it's difficult, I'll, though. I don't know if we'll. I don't know if you'll put this in, but I was doing an interview the other day, and someone said, um, "You got ADHD." I said, "What?" I said, "Have you got ADHD?" I said, "No, I don't think so." And he said, "I've just been diagnosed, and it's like looking at the mirror, seeing you." I was like, uh, "Okay." Wow, that was quite thrust upon you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So now when I just, when we're, when we're talking and like you say, what were you like at school? And then I, I find myself talking about Edinburgh. I'm like, oh God, what am I doing? You know, whereas before I would just think it's just a conversation. But, but it is a conversation, but that's the thing of what I like about these specific conversations that I have is because we jump around and we're thinking about certain things from school and then you go, oh, actually, it was it was like that in Edinburgh. We just, we make, we we draw those lines naturally as human beings. Yeah. And I'm just taking that as, as one point, but I do that all the time. I think a lot of people do. Yeah. Because, you, you know, we have tiny conversations or little 10 minute interviews a lot we have them a lot but do we get to sit down where someone turns the spotlight on the other person for an hour and gets to make them think about stuff about their parents or stuff about when they were drawing lines in art it just doesn't happen so no. that's, that's just our minds connecting surely yeah that's what i'd like to think and then i was looking at the symptoms for adhd and one was like putting off tasks and then I was putting off doing my tax return. I'm like, who doesn't do that? I know. Well, that, that's just procrastination. <laughs> uh, anyway, I won't get into that, all that too much, but I used to, I still love art. And, um, that was the first thing that I realized that I, um, could spend time on and have a product at the end of it that I would look mm. at and go, Oh, you did that. Well done. Um, and then I, so then I did uh, like GCSE, art, design, whatever, A-level. Then I did an art foundation in York and then went to university in Newcastle, University of Northumbria in Newcastle to do a graphic design degree. Mm. And um, that was just all ideas based, basically. They were all about concepts. And um, that um, made me want to start having it made me realise that I like having ideas. And uh, especially with words, like the best thing I ever did at university was a um, um, a project that uh, it was about money and I did some lino cuts and the line was, um, you've, never ever, you've never valued anything that so many other people have handled and it was like a picture of a £10 note, blah, blah, blah. And it was the first, I'm not saying it was a brilliant idea, but it was the first one that the tutors kind of connected with. And it was the first time I'd used words in a sparing but effective kind of way. And it's an obvious point, looking back on it, you've never valued anything so much that so many other people have handled. But I was thinking like if a £10 note was like a doll that people had been passed around, it'd be absolutely battered or like coins or whatever. And it's like this old stuff that we're just passing around and not so much anymore because of cards and things like that. But... That made me think, ah, oh, right, I, I like 
I like the uh, response that 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 line had from the from the tutor and some of the other other people at uni liked it as well. And I thought, ah, oh, what could I do with that? Who what, what industry likes having idea people who have ideas and it, tried to get into advertising, moved to London and. Because you know when you see a good advert, it's great, isn't it? it used to be brilliant, like on the TV. Yeah, yeah, when they hit, they really hit, don't they? Yeah, like strong, and like strong taglines, and you think, oh, God, that's just amazing. Um, and how did that go for you? Um, I, I had been writing these books of, like, short stories of, um, like, four or five pages and printed them off on really, like, tracing paper and they looked really nice these little books and I thought right I'm gonna I'm gonna find some agencies that I'd love to work at so it was just when the Sony Bravia Bouncing Balls advert had come on the uh, with that brilliant soundtrack um, and I thought right there's a company called Fallon I'm gonna send them a thing and then there was a and I was sending all these um, books of short stories out just because I thought they're full of ideas and it might I'll send them to creatives. Maybe they'll like them and maybe I could get some work experience. And I got one back and the lady said, um, why have you sent us this? This, um, um, She said, I think you'll find that your graphic design degree is the start of your education, not the end. Um, why don't you do a night class in how to get into advertising? And I was like, oh God, that's not that's not really the vibe that I wanted. And, uh, and, uh, and, um, and anyway, um, my dad was working as a plumber, as I said, and he went yeah. into uh, his plumber's merchants where he was buying his pipes from. And he said, oh, my lad's down in London trying to get into advertising. Um, but he's struggling, you know. And um, it turned out the guy behind the counter said, oh, my brother-in-law runs an advertising agency in London maybe they'll be able to um, give him a week, maybe some work experience. Why don't, I'll give you the address, get him to take his CV. And so I did that. And um, with my CV, I did like, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but you asked. <laughs> yeah, I did ask. The, yeah. The, the, um, <laughs> the, um, the, um, on the um, CV, I did like, um, um, was it oh like a cartoon strip so it said conversation at the top i wrote conversation in big letters and then made the c big and the v big so it was like cv and then mm. it was just a conversation as a cartoon strip of saying i remember it was like a conversation between a man and a pig and the pig was saying why do you want to get into advertising and i did a cartoon of me and it was like ah, blah 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 you know and then the creative director really liked the cv and they got me in for a week's work experience and um, and then they did two weeks and then a month and then got, <clears throat> then they employed me, yeah. It was kind of mad, really. I mean, it was such a, advertising is such a strange industry. I've been talking about it in my shows recently. Like, I remember once one of their big clients was House of Fraser, right? Mm. And one of the first things they, they said to me was, okay, we've got to try and do a House of Fraser sale ad and I said here's some bits of paper go and draw up some ideas for adverts for press ads so I drew I remember I drew a shirt and a, like a 
and it said 30% off in big words, you know. And then there was, I drew a worm with a speech bubble and the worm was saying, oh, look how cheap that shirt is. I wish I wore clothes, you know. <laughs> and then I give it to the creative director. He's like, what the fuck, what was this? Why are you doing this? Like, this isn't going to work. Have you ever seen like a House of Fraser after that? <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, but I, but this is the thing. It's, I thought, I thought that was funny, right? Yeah, it is funny. I and think if funny. I think, if I think something's funny, I think nothing sells anything better than something being funny. Like if you had like, say like with the Lynx adverts, some of those old Lynx adverts are really funny, but clever. And people's emotion of laughter is like it gets people. It's like that. So if mm. I think that it's like it's such a rich currency of going, ah, oh, if I can make people laugh, then that's that'd be that'd be awesome. So I, I was like, I was trying to have these ideas for like a lot of the time, trying to have funny ideas for adverts. I mean, one advert that got through was for an advert. It was for an advert for Florette salad, right? The bags of salad. And um, me and my copywriting partner, Ma Maxine, I, was, I remember I was in the show one day, I had an idea, I was like, oh, what if it was a drive through but it was for bags of salad, right? So there's a guy in a car and um, there's a there's a phone in a hedge and he pulls out the phone and goes, oh, bag of salad, please. Then you cut to all the salad pickers in the field and then you go up to the collection point and then get a bag of salad. I thought that would be quite funny. And then it got made and it's like, it's on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, we went to Mallorca to film it and it was, that was like my first taste of um, like a little idea, getting you on an aeroplane, you know, and, and, yeah. and having a meal paid for in a restaurant by the director and just suddenly it was like, whoa, all right, well maybe that could, I thought that, that it made me think I was barking up the right, right tree really. Mm. Um, so I started doing that and then, but advertising is such a almost perfect job for someone who considers themselves to be a creative person. Right. Yeah. Um, but it isn't. It's a business and it's really hard and it's brutal. And we pulled so many all-nighters and um, I started filling up these notebooks of just like raging against advertising and had funny ideas that I thought, oh, this is what I want to write. This is what I love. This has got, this is, this could set the world on. That's what I was thinking. I was like, this is it. Come on, let's go. This is wicked. And I've still got like the piles and piles of notebooks that I filled up. And then one day the creative director came around and he said, oh, um, I'm having a fireworks party at my house on a week on Thursday. There's going to be a bit of poetry. Feel free to come along. I was like, oh, what do you mean, poetry? He said, oh, well, just me and some chums are going to stand up and read out some poems we've written. And I thought, well, oh, I've got some stuff that I've written down in my notebook. I haven't really, I don't know if it's poetry or not, but can I read some of the ideas out? Mm. So I did that, and that was like my first gig. Wow. It was a fireworks party, and I was reading, like, 
stand up and go, oh, if I had a pen for a penis, I'd write all over your face. I'd use your spots as punctuation. Not one blemish would I waste. If it was all right with you, I'd fill your mouth with ink and use it as a quill. So when we got to restaurants, I could indecently sign the bill. You know, and it was a different time, Craig. It was, it's like, a different time, Rob. But, but it, it, it was like, it was, you know, people lapping it up. And then, um, no, nah, that that came a bit later, actually. I was saying things like, um, I've got a flatmate. I've got a flatmate called Nigel who lives in a shell. I guess that means that I do as well. And people are like, oh, I'm not sure. Um, but it's been trial and, ever, trial and error ever since. And um, that was it. I, I started doing a poet after, after that gig on the wall. Someone, Dan Cockrell, who uh, runs a poetry night called Bang Said the Gun that we used to run in London. Mm. Um, he said, we run this night called Bang Said the Gun. Do you want to come and run it with us? So I did that. And then that and, led, that led did, to... Did you leave the advertising firm at that point and think, yeah, I'm yeah. going to try and make a go of this? Yeah. Well, I got made redundant. Right. In 2009. So it was, it was funny. I got made redundant and then pretty much a week after someone said to me, we've got a slot going at the Edinburgh Festival for a thing called the Big Comedy Breakfast. It's going to be 15 minutes a day for a month. And I didn't really know what the Edinburgh Festival was. Um, but they said, do you want to come and do it? And um, I said, yeah, I think I do actually, yeah, because I didn't want, I'd, I, I I couldn't see myself doing advertising forever. It would be too much. And um, I wanted to try and prove myself and that's what I'm still trying to do now. Yeah. Really. Well, that, well, that sort of, that when that stops, then surely we stop. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it, isn't it? Of going, what what's happening? Of me, just it's a lot. It's a big. It's what do you do? Like, there's no, there's no. How 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 do how does anyone when people are achieving such massive things of going like, say, like you're someone like. Um, Messi, what's right. he like? What's he? What's he going to be doing after winning the world? I guess he'd just be like, "All right, I've achieved all that. Now what? Just get on with it, I guess." Well, in that chosen field, I've achieved the greatest thing that anybody could achieve, yeah. and now I'll just, you know, you can't just kick back. Surely that would be. Terribly boring. And that goes back to my point of just it all being in the effort, right? So yeah, his thing of, I imagine the amount of work that you've got to put in to be Lionel Messi is quite a lot. You don't just you don't just get to do that, do you? You're running. You're sort of co-running this poetry night in London. Yeah. So when did your poetry and your verses morph into uh, a, a 5, 10, 20, ultimately an hour stand-up show? 
Um, well, I was doing 10 minutes a week at this Banks of the Gun and just doing as many open mic nights as I could. Mm. Um, and I used to absolutely love going to these nights, alternative comedy nights, mixed music bill nights, and just standing up and trying to um, get my points across. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I think that trying to build up that resilience of um, not being too worried about whether people like it or not. Um, I don't think there's any quick fix for that. You've got to really go through that pain. Um, but that must be constant, though, Rob. I mean, I'm not saying that um, you're, you're failing all the time. <laughs> so that came up wrong. Do you know what I'm no, 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 what I mean is... Um, When, as performers, don't we... Isn't there always a part of us that that cares what what other people think of it? Mm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think you don't just want to be... You don't want to be the only person in the world that likes what you do, do you? Or do you? I don't know. Maybe if you are, then that is kind of a... No, but I think there's a fine balance, isn't there? I think it's, I think it's um, detrimental to constantly have the cat and nine tails out and smashing yourself mm. because that's, it's not productive and you're not going to learn and you're not going to grow and you're not going to build from that. Yeah. But I think it's, it's important to take a step back and have a look and also listen. No, absolutely. I think let's just see if I can write, if I can, um, this is a diary entry just talking about the cat and nine tails. Mm. We got off and went to the Yorkshire Dales. We stayed at the CB Inn. We had a pint outside and went on a walk up the hill. It was great to see my niece and nephew and my mum and dad. Our room was great. We could see the greenery, lots of rivers. Wow, this is poetic stuff, Rob. Have you ever thought about being a writer, you twat? In capital letters. <laughs> when so, was that, Rob? Hey? When was that? That was like last year. <laughs> um, but it's just annoying. Like I, I, I look through that and I think, why, why talk to yourself like that when you could be, when you could be like kind to yourself? And yeah. that's what these motivational videos are trying to teach me: is um, don't call yourself a twat in your own diary. Basically, <laughs> um, that's that's like my New Year's resolution. That's don't, another one to put on the list, Rob. Yeah, call yourself a twat today. But it's difficult not to, especially. I think it's good to be self-deprecating. I think. Um, yeah, I, yeah, but not constantly. No. No, not constantly. Um, so let's just go back to that question that is... Um, I can't remember. I can't remember, Rob. I don't know where we are now. We've been on a roller coaster. Let's talk about ideas, Rob, and let's... Until oh, no, no, you said, you said about um, how did it turn into a 15, 20-minute set. So Yeah, well, how did the poetry and, and, ver or the, you know, or, and the verses turn into, you know let's say something like, you know, I mean, I know I'm talking about the crowd show, which is the latest show that you're mm. doing, but yeah. How did that morph? Well, it's, I, 
when I went up to Edinburgh and did the show called The Big Comedy Breakfast, mm. um, I was doing 15 minutes a day and I saw that people were doing hour-long shows and I thought, bloody hell, an hour? You can stand up on stage and do a show for an hour. And I thought, I- I'd like a bit of that. So I, a couple of years went by, oh, what was that, 2011? No, that was 2011. Anyway, so 2012, I'd bought this yellow coat Berghaus yellow coat from Lily White's the on Piccadilly Circus in London. Yeah. They've got a reduced section at the top. And sometimes you can get really good, cheap um, waterproof coats in there. And I saw this yellow one and I thought, oh, I'd never had a yellow coat before. Um, I'm going to get, I'm going to get it. I'm going to, it's cheap. I'm going to get it. And I put it on and I felt, oh, I felt wicked, you know? And, um, Every time I put it on, it was almost like a bit of an event, really, and I, a very small event, like putting a coat on. But I thought, God, if if this makes me feel as happy as this, what 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 if I wrote a full show about the colour yellow and called the Yellow Show? <clears throat> and anyway, I put the put the word yellow in the middle of a spider b- diagram, and just tried to think about all the stuff that I could write about to do with the colour yellow. And I'd got like some stuff about egg sandwiches already. And um, and so that turned into an hour-long show of different things about the colour yellow, different pieces of writing that would go from five to two, some two minutes, some five minutes. And, um, and then I think, right, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to get the yellow pages and I'll stick all the different bits of um, yellow writing in the yellow pages and read from that on stage and then I made I thought what else can I do to make it a yellow experience for people so I thought well what if when you go to the cinema you have 3D glasses maybe I could have like the I made these yellow vision glasses so I cut out bits of uh, I cut out um what would be 3D glasses you know with the red and blue but mm. they had yellow in mm-hmm. and I made them from yellow card and handed them out to people when they were coming into the room so I made hundreds of pairs of these not that I needed hundreds, but I made hundreds anyway. And um, and when I was flying for the show, I was on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. I was in a yellow dinghy, and I was like covered in yellow crap everywhere. And um, it was good. It, that so that was an hour show, and but it was a, it was um, it was almost like a challenge for myself. So mm. like right, you've got to write an hour's worth of material that isn't complete garbage about the colour yellow. Um, so that's how I started writing these shows, you know, uh, um, that was the first one. And I don't know, I think because from my advertising background, I, the ideas thing, I, I got these, it, I wanted to make it like a complete piece of work. So when I was sending out, I didn't, when I was sending out the press releases, I didn't know that you had to send out press releases, but I thought, I got a thing from the Edinburgh um, Fringe um, website and they were saying, you need to send out press releases. So I'd just been to New York on holiday and I got these um, Beatles yellow submarine party invitations. Uh, You know, the type that come on a pad and you can fold them in half and stick them. Yeah. Um, And so I wrote in those just to like all the different... um, journalists and sent them off in these yellow submarine would you like to come to the yellow show and put up and put a pair of the yellow vision um 
glasses glasses in there and then I sent it off to like um, magazines and things like that and then I remember one magazine called The List they wrote they did a thing like a a small thing in the back of the magazine said we receive these if you're looking to get our attention do stuff like this you know and I was like oh right so that that was all right and then on the first no I think it was like the second day of Edinburgh I was doing this show called The Yellow Show in a place called the Banshee Labyrinth in um, Edinburgh. It's Edinburgh's most haunted pub, apparently. That's what right. it says on, on the top. And it was in a cavern at the at the back. You could get about 30 people in there. No, packed in. There was It wasn't packed in anyway at the start. There was about, I don't know, maybe 10 people on the first day, which is not bad. For I'd been flying my ass off all day. Yeah. And, um, and then on the second day, this comedian came up to me and he, he, just before my show and he said um, have a good show today you know who that is don't you and I was like no and he went oh that's the um, head comedy critic from the Scotsman who was coming into my show I was like oh alright okay so I just did my show and then a couple of days later someone sent me a text message and they said oh I've just heard this lady on Radio 4 she was asked what the best show is she's seen so far at the Edinburgh Festival and she said it was my show, right? And then the next day I got three stars in the in the Scotsman. You know. I'm just like, oh, come on. So that, w- that was my introduction to the press side of things. I shouldn't maybe cut that out, but it, I, I was just like, for, some, for, for something to... It was such a lesson of me. I thought I was ready then. I thought I, I, thought I was ready to go. I was like, come on. I want to be on all the TV shows. I've got a show all about the colour yellow. Who's not going to like that? Get me on. I want to be on Jonathan Ross. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, and I still feel like that now. But I thought I was there then. And I was so far away from it. And then hopefully in 10 years time, I'll look back at myself now in this conversation and think, I thought I was ready then. But then, and me, and I wasn't, and then maybe that was just be the thing that just keeps going forever and ever and ever. But I, I don't know, because I, I feel like I've got something good. It's like having a, having a, it's like baking a loaf of bread and me trying it and going, God, I love this bread. I love it. How can I try to get people to know about this bread? Because I think it's a good product, you know, and, um, it's it's a battle and I, I keep fighting that battle to try and... So even, you know, when, when you... Um, when I was speaking about the podcast on something and you sent me a message on Twitter saying, oh, thanks for that. And then and then you said, oh, do you want to... I was like, whoa, yeah, amazing. You know, this was absolutely, completely brilliant. And then that was 2020, wasn't yeah. it? And yeah, yeah. Pand- we, well, we've been, we've been, we've been wanting to to go and sit down and have a cup of tea face to face in person for a couple of years and what with my work and your touring we've just never been in the same city to do it but rob you know you you just getting then and you're talking about products and you're talking about ideas you were the first person i think the only person that i know um that produced a daily podcast mm. so did you ever get i mean i can't imagine you did 
Um, and, it, and it was brilliant and award award winning worthy, you know, because it was fantastic. But you know, the Rob Orton Daily podcast that you produced, did, was, was there any? Did you ever get stuck with that? Well, not really, because that was um, that was twenty twenty. So mm. that was basically just a short poem or a story a day, and I yeah, I had thirteen years worth of ideas to take right. from yeah, so. Um, I had to write a lot of new stuff and try and make the stuff I had better. But, um, I mean, it's funny how stuff works out, isn't it? Because if I'd have had to do my tour and write the new show, I probably wouldn't have been able to focus on it as much as I did. And it gave me such a focal point to do every day and every month and try Mm. and get the music right and things like that. And, um, to to be able to do it when everyone else was at home and they were probably listening to the most podcasts in history in that yeah. year, yeah. Um, and also and, the mo- the most podcasts being made and produced. And yeah. let's face it, a lot of them not very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we we were going to I want to do that again, and we were we were meant to do it on uh released the first one on the 1st of January 2020 and we'd be re- we'd been recording episodes and I thought I just want to have a bit more of a bank of them to and work on them more and just try and get them to be really I don't want to um damage any of the stuff that I did in 2020 even though listening back to some of those episodes now I listen back and I go god I can't believe I put that out mm. um and I, I just want to work on the episodes. And so when that daily podcast does come back in, I think it'll be 2024, I, I do want it to just be like uh, different to what the ones were before. Um, but I, I never, I think it's, you've, I've got to be a slave to the bell that goes off in my head when I have an idea. And like, yeah. and always, if I have any glimmer of an idea, write it down in my notes straight away and catch it because the words come in a certain order. And if I think, oh, what was that idea? It was about something about like that. And then you try to recreate it. You can't. It's no. like, you've just got to get it down and get it sorted straight away. But it's like waking up in the night and you you have an idea or it's part of a dream or and you want to write it down. Something isn't there. You don't have a pen and pad there to write it down you think that's fine i'll think about it when i wake up and, and i'll remember it inevitably it's gone yeah, that, yeah. that mo- it, it was that moment and that was your chance and if you didn't write it down you've blown it it's gone absolutely but do you have that with um i've only done like a tiny tiny little bit of acting but when did you do you have that with when you're figuring out how to deliver your lines like you have an idea of like oh i can put my arm here or do you have to do you have to write any of that down or do you record like if you have an idea of how to deliver a line do you record it into a phone of how you want to do it and then remember it like that or not not really no because it it's it's all dependent on who I'm playing the scene with opposite so it's 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 what I'm getting back mm. so I, I could I could have an idea of how I want to deliver a line but if I'm given something that I have to throw back, it just it would jar. It just wouldn't make sense. Oh, so yeah. it's a, it's about feeling it in in that moment. 
And I, I used to be much, when I was younger, years ago, in my 20s, um, I, I didn't feel that I had, uh, well, I, I suppose I didn't felt that I had uh, any sort of power to go, oh, sorry, can, uh, do you mind if we just go again on that take? Because I just want to try something here. Um I didn't feel I had any agency in that. And I would just go, yeah, okay, that's fine. And just get on with it. Even though I knew, like in my gut, I didn't really want to play that scene like that. I wanted to try this because I felt it would work for that character in that specific moment in that scene. But as I've grown with confidence and and, and knowledge over the years, I've gone, oh, actually, no, if we've, if we've got time, and I don't, you don't want to hold anything up, do you? Do you know what I mean? Because it's a, it's a long day and everybody's got their job to do. But it, I think now with um with a bit more confidence yeah i can stop and go oh let's just try this and 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 if it hits it hits and if it doesn't but i think if you've got the time to try it then you should do you know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah big time no i I, that's some i do so many well quite a lot of self-tapes on auditions and things like that but I i i think that working with other people is so important isn't it mm. like the the, oh, it's, the it's, la- yeah it's everything it is isn't it yeah yeah absolutely. other pe- people are it's like uh, joe strummer's big hero of mine and like he, he said people are every- people are everything that's it yeah that is it but this is it rob this is the end and i want to just fire a few simple questions at you and you interpret them however you like okay all right yep a good film or a good book book saturday night or sunday morning saturday night a country stroll or some city shopping country stroll rob would you walk out at the interval or would you sit through it well uh sit through it as i've realized very recently Right, okay. (laughs) Now, where we are now, where you are now, right in this moment in time, less ambition or more ambition? More, definitely, yeah. I think it always has to be more, doesn't it? I think it has to be, yeah. Now, Rob, when, when do we stop wishing people Happy New Year? I don't know. Um, I think it's done now. I got an email today and it said, um, belated Happy New Year. So, right. That's it. I mean, our next door neighbours have still got their wreath on their door. Have they? Yeah. Help help them out. Take it down for them. Yeah, set it on fire. (laughs) Because the thing is, if you've stopped, you've stopped wishing Happy New Year. I have. But now, if I meet somebody I haven't seen since before the Christmas break, and one of their first opening gambits is that they wish me Happy New Year, and so if someone does that to you, how how are you going to respond? Are you gonna are you gonna wish it back? I don't think so. I think um, I don't <laughs> think I'm going to be saying Happy New Year anymore. 
It's like that thing. I stopped saying bless you to people. I stopped doing that. I mean, um, no, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> I was doing. I, I was doing an audition the other day. Yeah. You know, kind of you sit outside in sit in the office or the reception, and there's all the other people who kind of look quite similar. It, it was for a part of uh, being Leonardo da Vinci in an right. advert, right? Yeah. And um, on the way in. I was walking down the street in Soho and this old guy in like a robe and like a proper old beard, he looked like the ghost of Leonardo da Vinci. I was like, just give it to him. <laughs> and um, anyway, this, um, the receptionist in um, or office manager um, sneezed and all the other Leonardo da Vinci said, bless you. And I didn't say I missed the window. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't say bless you anymore. I don't know why. I don't believe in God. I'm like, it's not going to make any difference if I say bless you or not. So, but then I thought, oh shit, I've, I've messed up this audition. Anyway. Rob, this has been brilliant. Are you, is the crowd show still on tour or is it done? Are you having a break? Yeah, it's on tour. I'm on tour from um, February, um, no, January. Um, it's all on my website, robauton.co.uk. And, uh, yeah, going up to Edinburgh again, doing a show called the Rob Orton show. That's about, about me. I've done nine shows on themes and this one's just going to be a bit more autobiographical, autobiographical. Yeah. Well, perfect. I hope I'll be up there and then we can grab that long awaited cup of tea. Yes, that'd be brilliant. If you fancy it, Craig, that'd yeah, be awesome. Brilliant. Rob, thanks so much for taking time and coming on. It's been an absolute joy. Cheers, mate. Take care. Thank you very much. And another episode is done. Now, Rob's show, as he said, is touring. Just uh, just Google the crowd show, Rob Orton. Go to his website. All the dates are on there. He's uh, He's going all around the country. Do catch him. And as he said... Uh, he will be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year with his new show, The Rob Orton Show. And when I'm up in Edinburgh, I will certainly be catching it. I hope you do too. But let me know if you're going to go and see his latest show, The Crowd Show. Um, yeah, I think you're going to have a wonderful time. And you say hello from me. So until next week, thank you so much for joining us. I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care. The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Valor. Cheers. Cheers.